I'm Jackie, and this is Behind the Talent. The Philadelphia music scene has lent a hand to some of the greatest musicians of all time. Hall and Oates, The Roots, The War on Drugs, the list could really go on and on. One of my favorite bands starting their course of Philly history is modern alternative rock quartet, Tioga. They describe their music as a danceable sound that lies somewhere between 80s goth pop and modern indie synth pop. was one of their latest singles, Break Me In. In this episode of Behind the Talent, I got the chance to talk with band member Austin Paragas. He not only shreds bass and vocals on stage, he also works in the industry doing business and legal affairs at Warner Music Group. I am very excited to have you on the podcast. I think you bring a unique perspective of being both an artist and a professional in the industry. Having both experiences, what level of understanding about the music industry would you say you have? From my experience, I think I'm pretty young and green to the whole experience as an artist. But it's been kind to me and and the band that I work with. I think that music tastes have evolved to be multi-genre and people like to cross that and fuse that, whether they're writing or listening to different music. So that's been a cool change that I've seen at least in the past five, seven years. As an industry professional, I'm coming up on two years working in the industry. I used to work in theater uh, and then I switched over because the passion was in music. It wasn't necessarily in theater. That's really awesome how you were able to identify a passion and make a career switch doing something that you love. What artists or bands were the starting point for your love for music? Well, I have two answers for this. One is like all-time favorite band and one is current favorite band. All-time favorite band is Blink-182, as I'm sure a lot of people that were born in the early mid-90s, even late 90s would say. Because when we came of age, pop punk was the thing and they were a cultural phenomenon for their jokes and for the, their humor that they did and their music was relatable for preteen me so in terms of like that nostalgic what i remember fondly about getting into music it's blink 182 yeah blink 182 was the pop punk band of my middle school experience so we've got blink 182 and who else that fuels your passion for music currently looking at them as a cultural entity as well as songwriters as well as producers. The 1975, which I'm sure is a common answer among people in 2020, I think they're really good. I think they show their muscles, uh, their songwriting muscles, and they really cross genres in a lot of way. So for that, I appreciated that. And they're also very externally pertinent to what's happening in the world. It sounds like the 1975 had a pretty big impact 
on your musical journey as both an artist and an industry professional. How did you first come about the 1975? Do you remember? Yeah, it was the summer after high school. I just graduated and I was, I think it was like maybe July and I was, that was when I like first got into Spotify and my friend had Sirius XM radio and we were listening to the alt radio channel a lot. The first song I heard by them was The City. I thought it was just like a cool drum beat with cool production. I started that and drove the whole song. But the song that I most vividly remember hearing for the first time and thinking, oh, who's this? I'm sure a lot of people are, is Chocolate. Definitely a cultural reset. I love that song. It really flipped a switch for me with the 1975, and I think it's crazy we share that same experience. Mm -hmm. To me, one of the most notable things about the 1975 is their creative. This brings up a point I wanted to touch on with you about creative directors. How do you think a creative director can shape the brand of an artist and the trajectory of their career? Specifically for the 1975, I think their creative direction is very cool because they switch it up with every album cycle. Their black and white aesthetic, which was very dark for their first album, and that was like cool. And they were the only ones doing that. And then The Neighborhood did that to like pink and 80s neon, which was the next one. I like it when you sleep. And then they moved into like this simple mostly white with some pops of color, the primary color thing for their last album and then their album that comes out. I think the 22nd is when it drops, but it's also very like black and white. And how important do you think the creative director is not only just for the 1975, but other artists and bands in curating their brand and identity? I think that they are one of the most important people for an artist's career. In today's world, especially since everything is like on Instagram and TikTok and everything's very visual, you need to have a visual branded element that makes you stand out or like at least, at the very least, matches a certain vibe or aesthetic to what you're doing musically. One of the people who does a lot of the creative direction and art for 1975 is a guy named Samuel Burgess Johnson, who I'm a really big fan of. If you want to check out his Instagram, he is really cool in his thought process and he'll share things from like the back catalog or stuff he's done. I forget the name of their lighting designer for their second album tour, but I remember watching a video about their stage lighting design. And I don't know if you've seen their live video that they did with Vivo. Yeah, I think I remember seeing that they performed the O2, I believe, in London. And for any curious listeners, their lighting designer's name is Tobias Rylander. Their stage design is just a rectangle above them that's that changes color. And then there's three or four pillars, I think, behind the main band and then the drummer on the riser. What the lighting designer and the creative director said in the interview was, you aren't famous until you can be recognized in silhouette. And that whole design was based on silhouettes. Wow, that's genius and so like when you come up with a creative element like that a cool visual element like that it's like oh it's not just a song on a playlist i heard by accident or something i heard on the radio it's now this is the mood i get when i listen to this music and this is what 
that artist looks like. And that connection makes an artist more memorable. Like Ed Sheeran was really cool how he did divide, multiply, uh, add, subtract. It's like his math thing. But I think creative direction is like one of the most important things in 2020, especially with social media being so important and us having short attention spans. You bring up a really great point about creative direction and making sure that you have that perfect fit for the team. And it's interesting because a lot of the times the manager is the one putting together the team or at least helping the artist decide who to put on the team. How important do you think a manager who has a really strong relationship and knows their artist super well is to that artist's career? Overall, I think the manager is the most pivotal and the most important member of an artist team. They're the ones who, they grow up with an artist, quote unquote, so to speak. They find them or they're friends or whatever and they bring them up and they grow together and they're intrinsically invested in each other, whether financially or anyway, really. They're the people who have the hardest job because there are a ton of artists that do the same thing, quote unquote, like they all, they could sound the same, they could have the same aesthetic, whatever, but the manager is the one that will take that idea that they have and they'll find the right people or they'll shop record labels, they'll get an agent, they'll they'll make the connection so that all the artist has to do is pick up their instrument or their computer, write their music, you know, maybe work with a producer, which a manager could even find, and that's all they have to focus on. Yeah, in the ideal relationship, the manager is making the artist's dreams a reality. An artist can be like, I have the song, this is the idea I have, I don't know what I mean, but here it is, and the manager will run with it, and the artist will say, yes, no, yes, maybe, let's work on that. But I think the manager is the most important person. I think they make or break an artist's career, personally speaking. You bring up a really great point of how important the health of the relationship is for the success of an artist's career. Is there anyone you're following right now who you think has that structure in place? Haim is actually one of my favorite acts to like make it big recently. Haim is one of those, like they're talented, they have a cool aesthetic going for them, they're sisters. Do you follow them? Yeah, I do actually. It's funny you bring that up because on the last episode of this podcast, I talked to Lindsay about their music as well. I started following them in 2017 when their album Something to Tell You came out. They took a bit of a break between 2013 and 2017, but they came back with this song, Want You Back, and it's one of my favorite songs of all time. But just know that I want you back. Mm -hmm. Just know that I want you back. Just know that I want you, I'll take the fall and the fault and I'll give you all the love I never gave before I left Just know that I want you back Just know that I want you back Just know that I want you, I'll take the fall and the fault and I'll give you all the love I never gave before I left I want you back. I heard that for the first time. I was like, oh, and this is the band that does The Wire. Okay. And their new stuff, I think, is really cool. And they're leaning into the whole dancing thing for TikTok. And I think that's great. Something cool about Haim is that they come off as relatable people. They're using their voice for a good thing. They're calling their next album Women in Music Part 3, which I think, I, I forget what the split is, but there's such an underrepresentation of women, both on the artist side and the industry side. And I think that, you know, that's a conversation that has already started. And it's really important for us to all have just so there is an equity for everyone who 
desires to make it, quote-unquote, in the music industry. For numbers reference, just on the artist side, the Annenberg Inclusion Initiative put out a report that showed in 2017, 83.2% of artists were men and only 16.8% were women. That's just on the artist side, not even considering the people behind the scenes. By calling their next album Women in Music Part 3, Haim seems to be really taking a stance for women in music. What do you think makes Haim the best group to do this? You know, they come off as genuine people who have a cause that they believe in and they do a very good job at branding it how they want to do it. And at least from what I see, you know, as a consumer, it feels like they're not fake. I definitely agree. Authenticity in the music industry is one of the key factors, and I think Haim does it really well. And there are not a lot of other artists that can say the same. That paired with incredibly amazing music is gold. They are very well musically educated and well versed at at what they do, which I think, especially in this last album that's coming out, really shows. I could nerd out about Haim for hours, but I want to kind of wrap this up by getting your opinion on why you think the consumer or general fan might not have an idea of what all goes on behind the scenes. I think it's like any other industry where I've heard of an investment banker. I don't really know what exactly they do. And you you can get an idea by looking it up on the internet, but you don't really know until you're in it. We really just get what we see on Spotify or the radio or Apple Music or, or live shows, but there's so many people that go behind it. It all works so seamlessly somehow. There's no need to really look deeper into it for most people. They just want to enjoy the music and support their favorite artists and have a good time when they go out and see a show. That wraps up this episode of the Behind the Talent podcast. I want to thank Austin for being an amazing guest, providing insight as both an artist and industry professional. Next episode, I speak with Dylan Arndt, a management coordinator who talks about his love for Arcade Fire and how he defines success in the music industry. I'm Jackie, and thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Talent. (laughs) 